Dear Lord, thank you for these inspired scriptures. Give us faith to believe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're back for day nine. And first I want to say so sorry for um, the last episode had some background noises I wasn't anticipating. My cat decided to talk to me during that <laughs> time. So I just figured mm, I'll just leave it in. And then my phone thought I was at school, so it um, alarmed for me. So anyway, um, we'll try to do better today. And today we hear a very famous story um, of when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son. And I have an interesting, hopefully, little point to ponder about that. But um, let's get into it. So um, the insight begins. Even as Ishmael has grown into manhood, his younger half-brother Isaac has also developed into a healthy young lad who is surely a source of great joy for Abraham and Isaac. But like many men and women of great faith who must face difficult trials, Abraham is about to face the severest test of all, and it will be Isaac's life which is on the line. Is it possible that since Isaac's birth, Abraham's confidence now rests in Isaac rather than in God's promises? God poses the challenge by calling upon Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Although human sacrifice is not unusual among the surrounding Canaanites and Chaldeans, this request of God's must strike Abraham at the very foundation of his faith. It not only causes Abraham to wonder about God's righteousness, but more importantly, it threatens the fulfillment of God's promise to bring about an entire nation through the descendants of Isaac. In such a dilemma, how can Abraham reconcile his faith? How should he respond? And into scripture, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. And now an insight. Abraham's feelings throughout this encounter must have been beyond adequate description. Yet he evidently believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, if necessary, in order to fulfill his promise. In the midst of his own personal struggle to obey God's extraordinary request, little could Abraham know that God was asking no more of him than, at a future time, God would ask of himself. When Abraham's ultimate heir, Jesus, eventually appears on the canvas of history, the prophetic nature of Isaac's sacrifice will be repeated with much similarity and with strikingly parallel significance. Sometime after Abraham's return to Beersheba from his brief trip with Isaac to the land of Moriah, Abraham receives word regarding his brother Nahor, whom Abraham has not seen since he left Ur of the Chaldeans some 40 years ago. The good news is that Nahor now has eight children by his wife and four by his concubine. The historical, the historical significance of Nahor's family record is found in Nahor's youngest son, Bethuel, and more importantly, in Bethuel's daughter, Rebekah, who will soon become an important figure in Abraham's own lineage. And back to scripture. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz, the firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kezed, Ehazel, Pildash, Zidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother, Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also had sons, Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Ma'akah. And now an insight, insert. The years have passed and Abraham is now 137 years old. Isaac, a century behind his father, is a relatively young 37. Sarah, who has the distinction of being the only woman in all of scripture whose age is mentioned, hmm, has reached 127. The Genesis account now abruptly records Sarah's death in the region of Hebron in the land of Canaan to which Abraham has returned sometime during the last 40 years. 
that scripture would pause to take note of Abraham's mourning over the loss of his beloved companion <clears throat> is a touching memorial to this woman of faith who would become the mother of a great nation. Of some curiosity, however, is the attention which the text gives to a transaction between Abraham and a man named Ephron, who owns a cave which Abraham wishes to purchase as a burial site for Sarah's remains. The transaction itself is an interesting introduction to oriental bargaining, in which an apparent offer of a gift is nothing more than a subtle way of setting a price. But the true significance of the account may be its further evidence of Abraham's faith that God will one day give this land to Abraham's descendants. It is as if Abraham wants to guarantee that even in death, he and Sarah will be a part of this promised land. And back to scripture. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me, so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? bury your dead. <laughs> Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearings of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was indeeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who were come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. And that's day nine. So before I go to the sacrifice scene, I, was, I giggled to myself when I heard... Um, that um, Nahor's sons, his first two sons were Uz and Buzz. <laughs> so um, I remembered, or I was going to say that my sons are named after 
Bible characters. My first son is Jared, who was the father of Enoch, remember, the one who never had to physically die. And then my second son is named Jacob. His, um, he's coming up soon in this series of stories. And then my third son, his name is Joel, and he's also, um, he's a prophet that will be coming up before long. Now, to the sacrifice. So I was raised in a Christian home and um, in church, and I heard this story many, many times. And, but it's never lost its impact. When I imagine Isaac as a teenage boy, and when he realized that he himself was to be the sacrifice. So he could have fought off his 110-year-old dad and run away. So why did he submit? Well, he knew his dad loved him, and I'm sure <coughs> sorry, I'm sure he had heard about his how his parents knew God and had seen him and had heard his literal voice and how much they trusted God. I'm sure he had heard that he was the chosen child of miraculous birth, and he was the one to carry on the bloodline. So somehow he was able to allow himself to be tied and placed on the altar. And then I imagine Abraham, when God told him to do this thing, he may have reacted at first like any one of us, like, what? <laughs> you can't mean to literally sacrifice my only son I waited so long for. But then imagine the amount of faith that it took to go so far as to raise the knife, ready to plunge it into the son he loved so much. Now, I know that some people may ask, why would God do this? And I don't claim to know the mind of God, certainly, but I do know that God knew how it was going to turn out. He wasn't up there wondering how far Abraham would go. He didn't ask, oh, will he tie him? Look, he tied him up. Will he put him on the altar? Oh, oh, look, he did. He put him on the altar. But will he raise the knife? Oh, he's raising the knife. I better stop him. Hurry, hurry. No. <laughs> God knew exactly how it was going down. But Abraham didn't. He didn't know that God was going to stop him at the last second. So I think maybe Abraham is the one who needed this experience this act of ultimate faith. And Isaac, maybe he needed it too. Imagine the story of faith um, he would have to tell his kids and grandkids. So I guess kind of it boils down to, like uh, most things, obedience. Are we going to act on our own out of fear or desire for something? Or will we obey God and trust him to know what he's doing? He did, after all, create the universe. Pretty sure... He knows more than we do. <laughs> so there's a point to ponder. <laughs> Bye-bye.